Hello? Are we on the air? Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast, where we ask not what's in your head, but what your head is in. Prepare to be inspired. Inspired to change your environment, change your mindset, and ultimately change your life. Willpower doesn't work, people. If you truly want to move away from stress and anxiety, you have to start with your environment. With your environment. So let's go. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Happiness is loading. Is loading. Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast. I'm Ian Highfield, and I am your host. And on today's show. I'm super excited because we have a guest. Now, this guest is an absolute expert, expert in human performance, not only understanding what human performance is and how to coach it, he also applies this himself. He has a number of golfers that are inside the top 50 Uh, In the world rankings, they will play in major tournaments uh, this year and probably into next year and make runs for the Ryder Cup. He is also a national coach, um, working with national golfers, helping them make the transition from amateur to professional. And he is just an all-round awesome guy. I was fortunate enough to work with him a few years back when he was the director of golf at a junior golf academy uh, that employed myself and we worked together and it was probably one of the biggest learning experiences of my life not only from an information from an understanding and from a coaching standpoint but also from a standpoint of hey if you want to be the best coach you can be this is the effort level that you put in. Um, So I'm super excited to play for you a conversation I recently had with Stuart Morgan, uh, one of the best people I know. He's become a great uh, friend of mine, a great mentor, and ultimately someone who is always trying to master his craft. And in my opinion, could be the number one golf coach in the world. Uh, I hope you enjoy Uh, And I hope it adds value to your day and spreads some positive change. How are you, mate? What's going on? Yeah, I'm good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. It's uh, it's always good to chat and uh, see kind of where we are in the world of kind of high performance right now. So, yeah, it's um, I kind of, you know, working primarily mostly in the golf space right now with a couple of players in the top 50 in the world and some other European tour players and... Uh, yeah, it's exciting times. It's uh, it's really good and fun and motivating. Awesome, man. Well, you said an interesting thing. It's good to come on and chat. And I don't know, I'm guessing on average we chat maybe once a week, once every two weeks. And uh, and sometimes we get on these uh, these phone calls when, when I want to pick your brain about high performance and uh, the people that I'm supporting with, with their goals and dreams. Uh, if I want some information from you, I'll jump on the phone or maybe we'll just jump on the phone for a catch up. And sometimes these calls can go on for maybe an hour, an hour plus. And I'll always hang up the phone and I'll think, oh man, I should have recorded that for a podcast. Um, so we finally got in the position where we're just going to freewheel. 
We're just going to chat and we're going to talk about everything um, high performance. Uh, so, you know, you, you've told us you're a consultant, you're a performance consultant, you work mainly in golf. Uh, you've helped two players uh, inside the top 50 in the world. So that's the elite of the elite of the elite. Um, but ultimately, for the, for the listener now that just hears these words, high performance, what is that? What does that mean? Well, I think if we look at performance to start with, like it's the, you know, the ability to do an action or a process and performing at a task, right? So it's, you know, a task can be in multifaceted in whatever um, area that you're actually in. High performance for me are, like you said, they're, you know, there's such that they're very much the minority, um, the outliers in the world of, you know, in my world, kind of going for majors, Ryder Cups, um, like I said, top 50 in the world. You know, those, those to me are, are the high performers in, um, in the space that, that I work at. And, it's, and really it's about, well, you know, we're dealing with such small margins versus if you were just dealing with somebody who, um, you know, is a 25 handicapper at a golf club, you know, they can be performance-minded but the, the incremental gains you can make with them are uh, quite significant. Whereas you're looking at very, very small margins of improved performance with, with the high performers. So what, what you're saying is the people that you work with are really already high performers, elite performers, and they're trying to become uh, even more elite. So I guess the question I have, because the people I work with, I, I do work with some high performers of that nature. Um, but I will also work with um, business people uh, that are trying to move towards goals and dreams away from sport. I'll work with golfers that aren't elite, um, but that want to make steps to maybe hitting certain goals or attaining certain things that takes effort. So for everyone listening, how do those people that you're currently working with, the elite of the elite, what does it take to actually get there? I think then that could give anyone listening to this podcast something actionable. So the guys that you work with that are literally the best in the world at what they do, the top 1% of the 1% of the 1%, how do they get there? How do they become elite? It's a great question. And I don't think there's a definitive answer because they all have their own individual journeys to, to the point they get to. I knew you were um, going to say that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like just hanging on the edge, right? Like no definitive answer, but that, that's kind of how it is, right? And you kind of, you know, when you're speaking with them, I mean, primarily like high performance is a behavior, right? And it's not just a behavior from, um, you know, from the player. It's a behavior from yourself too. Like, you, I mean, you have to exhibit high performance behaviors and like, you know, do your study and understand the kind of the subject you, t you know, you're talking about. And that then creates the, I, I guess the, you know, the thing that people call you then are an expert or a specialist in, in something. Right. And that's, that's kind of really where we're working. And but the, the one thing you do see is uh, they, they kind of really set a high level of standard for themselves, you know, like, I recently went to hang out with, you know, watch a practice session of a, um, you know, one of the best tennis players in the world over in Austria. And 
you know, they just, it's a practice session, but they're setting high standards. They're demanding a lot of themselves, you know, and that, that to me is the stuff that people don't see, you know, that's, that's really what I, what I'm seeing, how they get their different journeys. They all have physical capabilities that, you know, they can hit a golf ball and, and whatnot, but that, that, you know, there's tons of them in the world, like, you know, hundreds of thousands that to me is not what makes them great it's all the other stuff like their motivation their determination their you know some of them set like very very detailed goals some of them have more vague goals but they still drive in towards something and that's um that that it's those things i feel that are um, are vital to be a high performer and they and primarily like they can they can all transfer what they do to the, you know, to that specific context of high competitive environment. So let, let's let's home in on a on a couple of those points. You you said a key word there, uh, transfer. So I've been fortunate enough to start working um, with a, a soccer company, or as me and you would say, if we were back home, a, a football, football company. Yeah, a football company, <laughs> um, and. I was asked by uh, the person who owns this, this company, an ex-professional player, uh, played for the USA. They asked me, hey, can you help me um, help my students train in a way that increases skill transfer? Because this person always felt that they could perform to a higher level in practice, their stepovers, the free kicks, the first touch, all of those things were at a higher standard than when they actually put on uh, the USA jersey and played for the USA. They felt like those peak skills when they were at their prime, when they were at their best in practice, almost eluded them a little bit, didn't quite transfer into the match. So I know this is where a lot of your passion and expertise lie. So if there is someone who is listening to this podcast that plays golf, hit the ball well on the range, not so good on the golf course, plays a musical instrument. It sounds wonderful when they're practicing in their living room. When they get on stage and play a solo, it doesn't quite sound as good. Um, soccer player, when they ping that 40-yard field pass, cross-field pass, it lands on a dime in training, but it doesn't when they're in a match. They miss the target by three or four yards in a match. All of those margins, if you're trying to improve, we need to close those margins. So how can people listening um, firstly understand what skill transfer is and then second, actually apply it? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, again, it depends on what, on what level you're at. But, you know, you see, um, you see a, lot of, a lot of people in sport, they have, you know, the physical components of, what it is they're trying to do in like in an isolated environment in you know in practice and whatnot but for me the the, the ability to transfer the training needs to be more representative of what the um, what the real performance environment is going to be for them and you know that that can be um you know in matching the behaviors of what of what that is you know even like just me spitballing here if it was like a a musician and whatnot you know how often do they actually go into the the hall that they're going to perform at 
walk in, how they're going to perform, everything's there, you know, run through it and, um, and whatnot. You know, the, those type of things, making it representative of what the performance context will be. Like for me in, in sport, I'm always trying to make it more, a little bit more demanding at times, not all the time. But as they start to get closer to, you know, tournament play, it's very representative and very stable with their with their skills. So it's out on the golf course, um, score related, um, depending on the weeks that they've got coming up. You know, I, I go through a lot of detail in the background of like looking and doing research on the golf courses and whatnot, and based on what how that you know how far they hit it. Okay, what type of yardages? What type of clubs are going to we we going to be looking at going into greens and and um and all this and then trying to create an environment that primarily you know we, we create a scenario of saying well if you're going to go and play you've got nine holes you need to shoot level par for nine holes playing us open standard if you miss it right or left in the fairway you have to pitch out sideways so it's like it's making it very representative of what the us open might be awesome got you and why do you think that help? Why does that help the people play uh, to a higher level or transfer their skills? Because you know, could could that not necessary? Could that not maybe knock someone's confidence and then they don't play as well? Why, it seems counterintuitive for for some people. And obviously, I, I I know, so I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm trying to almost read the mind of the of the listeners and 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 ask questions to you that they might be potentially asking themselves? The thing, the thing behind it is, you know, when we look at it, they're not, to start with, they're probably not going to get better, you know, and that's, that also tests other skills. You know, I, we, we saw it over, I saw it over last year, you know, where, you know, I worked with a player, lost his challenge tour card and, you know, we, we changed, you know, we kind of fundamentally changed how he practiced and it was a slow burner to start with but then all of a sudden the ret- the retention kicks in because of the the behavioral element he's hitting shots like he would do in a tournament so when he actually and, and under demands of a tournament well so when he gets to the tournament kind of context then it, it's he's not having to change anything it's just like okay i'm going to do the same same thing and what tends to happen i feel with people is that um the reason where when they get onto the golf course they players tend to overload their their working memory of like worrying about this might happen or this could happen and and whatnot and and what we're primarily trying to do is you know quieten that kind of stuff down and make it a little bit more procedural but to make it procedural we have to go through that in training as well so basically yeah basically to that negative voice that we all have in our minds um to quieten that down in the actual um concert or soccer match or exam uh, or golf tournament you have to be bringing that out in practice. In practice, you have to be experiencing those very same uh, surroundings and those very same uh, self-doubts. So you have to create 
the, the ability to actually firstly fire off that negative voice to learn to quiet it down? Would, would that, would that sum yeah. that up? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like in, in, again, you know, we're all making decisions, right. When it comes to in, in high performance and sometimes it's that you have to make a faster decision and sometimes a slower decision, but there's a thing called Hicks law where the more decisions you have or the more things you have in your repertoire, let's say it's football, right? And you, you receive a pass and you have multiple options in yourself. Basically, the decision-making process can slow down and people take too long and then the ball's nicked off you. So the only way you're able to train those decision-making processes is if you're actually being put under pressure to be able to make that decision. So there's no, there's no good doing that where um, we have no you know, if you, if you know, let's say you have a, an object in the way, you know where that object is. But if you have another human being against you, that human being can go in different ways, right? So you have to adapt to them. And then you also have to adapt to what your teammates are doing around you to be able to make the decision and, pl- and play. And that's where I feel that in, you know, in training, um, I think I feel football does that quite well. To be, to be quite honest, from what I've seen, um, I feel a lot of sports do that quite well. But it's the same in te- like when I watch tennis, they, they have a sparring partner, right? So, you're a, you know, yes, the coach might say to the sparring partner to, to, to stabilize certain skills or to hit it there, hit it there, hit it there. But then as they, as they move, you know, through the training session, it becomes more representative and they start playing for points then all of a sudden it's one against one. There's no predictability to what's going to happen. You know, you're basically reacting all the time. And that's yeah. where I feel with golf being such a sort of a lonesome game, right? We have to sometimes create that with the golf course. If you can play against somebody, you know, for a high consequence or whatnot, that's fine as well and very advantageous. But it's stuff that people shy away from. They kind of don't, they don't want to do it. They don't want to overload themselves in training. And for what I do, I'm trying to overload them in training. It's, it's funny you say that. Um, so I, everyone who listens to the podcast knows I love CrossFit. Um, but I recently moved house and um, that has led to me kind of moving away from CrossFit a little bit because the gym closest to me is a boxing gym. So I've signed up to learn boxing. Now, I have my first um, boxing training session tonight at 7 o'clock, and I know it's on pads. Now, if I had a sparring partner, I would have probably canceled this podcast because of the sheer fright of getting punched in the face. Like, I I know I'm going into a very safe environment, and this uh, instructor, I'm not going to get... But that's that's where it should be to start with, right? I mean, you're you're an... I, I mean, I don't know, but you're an unskilled boxer, right? So it should be correct, correct. A, a kind of a safe environment to be in, right? You don't want to go in with somebody the same weight as you who's been boxing for like four or five months because you won't see anything coming and you'll be on your backside. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're saying is like, so then people listening now that maybe play golf or maybe play the, the violin or um, whatever they're, they're going to be doing, they might be in that safe environment practicing when is the right time to move away from that if you really want to want to master a skill 
Yeah, I mean, they, they class it as, as like safe certainty, right? So like if you're in a safe, certain environment, you know, you're in your comfort zone and that's okay, right? Because you kind of, to absorb something, you, you potentially, you don't want too many things going on if it's kind of relatively new, right? It's, it's rehearsal, you know, it's, it's relatively stable in, in what they do. But primarily the moment they start to get the skill of what of what they're doing then you need to kind of up it a little bit and take it into an environment of like safe uncertainty you know and that and that means that it's a bit more challenging it's a bit more exploring um you know there's it's less predictable and whatnot and you might move back right at times and i think it's advantageous to start with you move back at times but there are these environments that you kind of go through and it's not linear and it's kind of up and down and, and based on the skills that you're learning, but you're always coming back and then moving forward. But I feel that golf in golf, anyway, people stay in that safe certainty too long, right? Where's the, the, the high repetition, um, they get a kick out of it. It kind of might massage their ego, but it's, it doesn't really have much representative elements to, to what the game is. Yeah, so let's take me with my boxing, because um, now, you know, I've, I've got a, a world-leading um, performance coach on the podcast. So I did this when Dan Abrams was on, a world-leading sports psychologist. I basically tried to steal free coaching off him. I'm going to try and do the same uh, for you. So I go to boxing tonight. Um, I do probably the one, two, three combos, whatever it is on the pads. Um, I go the maybe two days later. I do the same sort of training session. When do I know? When do I say to myself, right, I am now needing more uncertainty. Uh, and right, how do I inject that into my training? Yeah, so that it, be just, it fundamentally becomes when it, it becomes less of a conscious action that you do, it becomes quite easy. You know, so you're going in there and, you know, you might, implicitly find yourself doing a different movement when you don't when you shouldn't be doing it right because those the combinations are you know are quite straightforward so then you have to you know you then have to couple that with you know potentially like moving your feet right so you know moving around rather than standing in a static position so can you hit that combination moving left and right kind of moving around can you adapt to you know, your trainer actually doing something out of the ordinary. Can you still do it in that, in, in, in that environment? So just add in a little bit more kind of complexity to it of stuff that you, that you add into basically. Awesome. And that's the same, right? Like boxing is no different to golf is no different to learning to play a musical instrument is no different to learning to wakeboard or th these the, the, the brain doesn't distinguish between different sports. It just sees it as a, as a movement skill, correct? Yeah. And I mean, the, the only difference I think with, you know, I would say boxing is more in the, in the same category as like tennis or judo, right? Where or karate, where you're adapting a little bit to the other person or the other somebody else over the other side of the net or whatnot. Whereas, you know, in golf, it's very much, 
you know, you against the golf course. So the golf course is like your, your opponent. So that's why you're always trying to throw up like random stuff on the golf course to, to kind of somewhat imbalance or create an imbalance in what's going on. So the player, can they create a, a relatively stable, you know, movement in an unstable environment? Awesome. So Stu, you, you've got this philosophy and there are uh, professional golf associations. Uh, there are some of the world's best players. They are, they are paying you to educate them on this or, you know, these world, the world's best players are paying you to um, create these training environments for them. Have you always had this, um, this philosophy? Have you always known this? Um, or has this evolved over time? Because I, I also know you did have some success really, really early on uh, in your coaching career. Um, was that through this philosophy and it's grown from there or were, were things a bit different back then? Oh, yeah, it's completely different. I mean, it was very much, you know, you know heavily movement-based and like technique-based. And, you know, even, even when I look back at it, it was like, you know, it was technique-based, but I didn't really know, you know, technique is fine. And I, and I think in any, in any skill, there's a technique, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's unnegotiable. And it's, but it's like also how, how do we, how do we influence that movement? Right. So how do we create cues and analogies to be able to, so we have the space, right? So what we're talking about space and interleaving, like that's a cognitive process. Whereas golf and, and they're, they're also movement related. So if you can couple the, the cognitive process of what's my cue or what's my analogy of what I'm trying to do, then all of a sudden you've like, you, hit, you absolutely hit the sweet spot. And I, but I didn't know that back then. You know, it was like, look a video or do this but i didn't i didn't know how to help them do this it might have been right it might have been wrong I, I just didn't know but you still and, had success right coaching that model you were you were coaching some of the world's best players and they were they were flourishing correct yeah but i i, I think that was potentially more down to their ability to um be selective in what in what information they took and and so on and so forth which is again you know, a high, a high level skill with a, with, with high performers. They don't take everything on board. You know, they have a, an amazing filter of what they feel they need and, and what they don't. Um, and it, yeah, I, I was, re I was relatively successful, but you know, I still had that, this niggling thing of, I, I'm not really sure I knew what, you know, what I was helping them and how I was helping them. It was more like I was, and I, and I needed to know that. I'm that type of person where if I'm going to say something, I need to have an, a good understanding of why I'm saying it. The same as I would expect a, a student of mine to question me and say, well, why am I doing this? You know, what is this going to do? How is this going to kind of give me, um, you know, help me shoot a quarter of a shot less per round? You know, whatever it might be. So you, where did this then... This, because I, I know you personally, and obviously we we've yeah. we worked together, uh, and I've, I've I said that on the uh, on the introduction to the podcast. 
uh, and we became friends. And now you're a, a great sounding board, a mentor for me and, and help me when, when I get good projects um, from companies that are related to human performance or when I'm working with athletes and I might want some uh, extra information, uh, I'll come to you because I know you'll have done the reading on it. And yeah. it's, it's not yeah. like I don't read. I, I've got the knowledge, but you're like my, uh, my fact. You're like my Google. <laughs> so where did this motivation come from to get this incredible knowledge? You seem to have this thirst for, for knowledge like um, no one I've ever met. And it, and it is really on a very, very specific subject. And it's obviously making you very successful. So where did this motivation come from? Can you pinpoint that? And then how do you then go about growing this knowledge? I think that would be interesting for, for people wanting to be successful, to know what you do to find this information. Um, I think that would be very helpful as well. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think somebody, somebody said to me the other day, um, who is, you know, again, a, a, a good friend of mine. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about like different things and he's helped me out in like my career and whatnot. He says, my ability to reach out to people and ask, right. And that I, 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 I have a process where I, I call it my nights at the round table, right. Where I have, and this was the same when I was, it was, it was all about technique, right. I had you know, I had people that sit there that I would kind of pick up the phone to or send them emails and ask them questions about, about certain things. And then it just, it, it transitioned as my curiosity changed of like, well, there has to be more, there has to be more than this. Well, there has to be dip better ways of helping the student in front of me. And I kind of went to a seminar and they introduced me to, well, they were talking about, um, you know, nonlinear pedagogy and, you know, the ecological dynamics of, of of how we adapt to environments and and can how you, we do can how you translate them, Stu. <laughs> yeah, so the, it's it's primarily how we um, how as an organism we if you put somebody into an environment we will adapt. We will, there, there's a what they call affordances, so decisions that you will make along the way of like how to use that information, and when you when it becomes implicit like that. Um, it's a higher level or potentially high level that's going to retain more because it comes from your adaption to that, to that environment and how you're translating that environment. And I, and I, and I went to a seminar, I was like, Oh my God, like, what is this? Like, I've never heard this at all before. And it was like, all of a sudden it just sparked this, this something in me of like, this is like super interesting. And from that day, you know, you go down the route of, you know, the motor control stuff and the motor learning stuff. And then, you know, more in the, into the performance stuff and, and figuring out how all this sort of pieces itself together and how can we help the, the individual in front of us piece it together for themselves. And it just, I don't know why I do. I, I just, I just find it interesting, but I still have people it's slightly different now, but I still have people like yourself and, you know, Ed Collin, Tim Lee at times, Anders Ericsson, uh, Dave Allred, you know, a, a, number, a number of these like high level kind of coaches and researchers where I just, they sit at my round table 
So if I have a question or something that I'm not sure of, I reach out to them and they, and they help me out. Like nobody does anything on their own. And if you are in that kind of silo of doing everything on your own, you need to open yourself up a little bit and reach out to different people. Because I think it's, you know, we're all in it together and we're all trying to help our subjects in front of us, no matter what domain you work in. And like, why not? Everybody I've reached out to is very, very open to, to having chats and, and, you know, sending me research papers or recommending me like books to read and, and so on and so forth. So that, that's what drives me. And, it, and, it, and another thing it, what drives me is trying to influence the culture of how golf is practiced. So talk a little bit more about that. Build, build on that. for. Well, yeah, I think, I think for, you know, for a long time, it's that scenario of, well, this is what we've always done. And there, there, are, many, there are many areas, and I feel that some things that we do, um, some things I've seen in other sports is quite normal in, that, in those sports, and, but it's quite abnormal in, in golf, like the ability to... Um, had high specificity and, and context to the training environment, you know, learning to taper it and, and understanding the tapering and the periodizing process of what it is you're doing, building into tournaments and, and things like that. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a hundred percent a why and a purposeful element to what it is you're doing. If you're at a golf tournament and getting ready to play a golf tournament and you can start, and if you're a high level golfer, you can start working that, you know, weeks before. So you're basically taking elements of the luck away. Like there's still some luck, but it's more like, well, you know, if we plan and we train at the right levels, you know, it can enhance our ability to perform when it matters. And there's some amazing stuff, like absolutely amazing guys. Um, you know, Damien Farrow at, you know, the, the Australian Institute of Sport in Melbourne, like I reached out to him and we had a chat, Fabian Otte for those footballers, like he's a goalkeeping coach, he was at Hoffenheim, um, he's now at Burnley. You know, they've done some phenomenal work and research in, in this skill periodization. It's very, very new, but it has huge poignant parts. We think, okay, yeah, we can translate this into, into many, many other sports. More specific, like, you know, one-on-one sports, like a boxing, you could potentially do it. Golf, you could do it. Goalkeeping, again, it's one-on-one almost. Tennis, again, same thing. A little bit harder to do in a team environment when everybody is together. Got you. Okay, perfect. So, Stu, let, let me ask you this. You, you, you're, a, you're a golf coach. You're having great success. Um, you're coaching at a young age on the, on the European tour. You then hear this seminar and you think, wow, there's, there's got to be more. So you start researching, you start reading, you start reading out to people, you start formulating different ideas on why skills don't transfer. Um, and you get your, your round table, you have people that are supporting you, you get this amazing database of knowledge and you start having success with this. And then um, you start working with players who are on the main stage again. And now these players sort of start really accelerating. You've got two players inside the the top 50 in the world. You're becoming um, 
and, and this isn't just bias from me. When I would say this a couple of years ago, it would be biased, but now it, it, it's more legit. You're becoming a, a leader in um, understanding human performance, especially in sport and especially in golf. So was that a simple, straightforward road or did you find any, uh, any speed bumps in the way? I mean, there's always speed bumps in the, in the sense of like, you know, you come across, and somebody always told me, so what, if, you, if you read one piece of research, um, then you also need to, to read the counter to that, right? So you, you need to read like some of these research that doesn't, it doesn't fit in with, with how you see things and sort of like looking at it kind of that way. And seeing, well, okay, yeah, I get that, I get this. But then also looking at like the volume of research that's being that's being done and you know, to get to get a paper kind of published, it goes through a pretty rigorous process, right? To be able to get through and to be um to be put out as an academic um piece of of paper of, of literature. And that to me has you know makes it a lot more valid than somebody's opinion of just you know writing something right and and that's why i've kind of used these guys to um to 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 help me understand things but also i then have to translate this information into the practical world because if it doesn't work practically then it's useless and sometimes you kind of go through it and go, okay, that was really good. And then some days you go, oh, that didn't work as I kind of, uh, I first thought it would in my head, but then reflecting on it and asking, well, why? Why didn't that work? And really what it comes down to, you know, the stuff that works is, is really about, you know, coaching that. It's, it's, a, it's a case study of one, right? The person in front of you. And you, and you know that, and you have to find out, you know, a lot of information about that individual to be able to say, this is, this might work for you and this won't work for you. And that I feel takes a bit of time and a bit of, you know, a, a bit of understanding and, and some kind of setbacks along the way as well. That, that's why I think it's very hard on a podcast trying to give um, something actionable for people to listen to. You know, I, you, you know me, I'm a big believer that willpower doesn't work. I believe yeah. that the environment is a huge driving force. So this podcast is all about changing your environment because it's the environment that will influence your mindset. And then your mindset can drive you towards your goals and dreams and positive change. So, yeah. So those, I, are, but those environments you're talking about is, you know, it's not just about, like, I, I try and I, I don't go to many seminars now, right, where I, I create my own learning. Like, I'll, I'll put, I, I get, you know, I'll pick up the phone to somebody or I'll reach out via an email. I, I drive it myself, right? And it's in, and it's all in connection with where my motivation is, right? And what and how I see my career and what I'm doing. I, you know, I, rather than just going down the road of just going to a seminar for the sake of going to a seminar to get some points or whatnot and, and not really using the information, I, 
I don't see that as a as a real um, as something that's going to be sustainable over over the future, right? I mean, it has to be for me. It has to be something like if somebody wants to be, you know, hundred percent engaged into like biomech biomechanics and whatnot, absolutely brilliant. And go down that road if that's the stuff that's consuming you and and you're reading about and you really love then brilliant become as amazing at that as you possibly can but just understand that it doesn't just work as that it works in the whole you know it works with how does that information that biomechanist stuff how does that transfer into be able to help that player shoot lower scores or guard them against injury and there has to be a why right there has to be Why are you doing this? And we're seeing that more and more in every sport. Soccer teams, the, co- the size of the coaching teams are growing. NFL, if you watch the NFL, I think they sometimes have more coaches than players. And then even golf now, right? When you're on the range at, at the elite tournaments where, where you are regularly and I'm there occasionally, you see players are having teams around them because things are becoming more and more specialist. So again, if, if we relate that back to the podcast listener, we're talking about having a specialist team around you and we're talking about everyone being different. So what works for one person might not work for another. So if I'm trying to put a message across to help a podcast listener, it can get very, very, very hard because there is no generic information. But what I want to ask you, Stu, is for the people that are listening, the people that might want to play an instrument better, that might want to pass an exam, that might want to prepare themselves for a club golf tournament or a club tennis match, what advice could you take from coaching the best of the best, from visiting the best professors and scientists formulating this philosophy that's got you to be an expert in, in sporting performance and human performance. What advice can you give to the, the podcast listener? Um, obviously there's been nuggets of it throughout, like holding yourself to a high standard, not always being in your comfort zone uh, throughout practice. Motivation has to be high. What, what can you build on? What advice could you give them something to take away from this podcast? Yeah, so I, I would look at, um, you know, those things that you've talked about there for players, right? They, whether somebody writes these things down or just kind of has them in their head, they're, they're goals, right, for themselves. Yeah. You know, they're, they're aspirations that this player wants to, or this, this person wants to achieve whatever their motives are okay so i would i would start with that right and then i would basically say okay that's what that's great that's brilliant that doesn't need to be any more specific than than what that is and that should be the driver right of what gets them up or what gets them to um you know somebody wants to turn around to me and says oh yeah i want to play i want to be a top 50 player on a european tour i'm like Brilliant. We don't need to get any more specific of that. We ask them, okay, why is this? What are, you, you know, what are your motives towards this? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then we have to connect other parts to it. So we say, okay, well, what does that look like? So from a performance standpoint of where that player is now to where they need to be to be that person, where are the gaps? 
And that can be gaps in, you know, are there gaps in um, the, the biology, right? So we use biopsychosocial, right? So you say bio, you know, the biology, that could be their mechanics, their ball striking, their, their health, do they move in the right way, et cetera, et cetera. The psychology, like do they have certain components in there that are limiting them? in their environment that like they're outside of golf, like their social environment, you know, are there people encouraging them or are there people going to work in against them? And when you put all this together, everyone in those areas, if there's a barrier that's stopping them from, from achieving what they want to do with their, with their, let's say their vision goal and their performance goals, there has to be a solution to that. So if they write it down and go, okay, biology, this is what that is, is my physical stuff, um, my golf swing, my, my health, my movement, whatnot, are there any barriers that are stopping me from achieving my goal? Yes or no? If there's yes, what are they? List them and then go and say, okay, this is the process I need to go through. I need to create solutions for all of those. Psycho psychologically, when I'm playing on the golf course, are there any limiting factors that are inhibiting me from performing and achieving my vision goal? If there are, what are they? List them, create solutions to them. Socially, are there any changes you need to make? Are there any barriers that are stopping you again in your environment away from, the, from golf or whatnot? Are there any limiting factors there? If there are, list them create solutions of what what it's going to be because without those solutions they will keep rearing the ugly head and stopping that person or stopping you as a as an individual from achieving your goals and it once it's always yeah. gone to you sorry carry on once you once you have that and you have this kind of like this framework to say okay i kind of know where i'm going with this you have to be all in if you are not all in to this process and you're reacting to like small things daily and whatnot, rather than keeping a perspective of like what that big picture is, it might not be for you. You have to be all into the process to understand that there are going to be ups and downs, but we're going to get there. And there's no complaining from one day to the next. There's no moaning or this or that or whatever it's just getting on with it and that's a high performance behavior awesome so if you want to play a musical instrument better if you want to play golf better if you want to play tennis better if you want to pass an exam you can actually sit down you look you can look at biology you can look at your psychology and you can look at your social environments identify any barriers and then you need a solution to remove that barrier. And whatever Absolutely. the solution is, you have to then be all in. Now, and the, th and the thing with those solutions, right, that doesn't just come from, you know, that's just not, that's not all me, right? Or it's not all you, right? It, there, there may be solutions that need to be addressed to the problem that you might have to go and see somebody else and, and outreach to somebody else. And that's, and that's cool. Well, that right. was going to be my next question. Like, do you do that alone or do you seek someone? And I, I think there is elements where the people that are performing at the highest level seem to be the ones making massive investments in themselves. Would you agree with that? They are. And they, they really do. And I also think that, 
you know, I, I try and um, get people like, like yourself and, you know, I have trainers and, and other, you know, skill acquisition, you know, people and, you know, putting guys and 3D or biomechanists and whatnot. But if that player, I feel, you know, needs something, I have people that I've set, I've kind of vetted in some ways that I can recommend. They don't have to take that recommendation, but I need to have people that, that I can say, oh, go, get, go and call this guy, go and see this guy, go and see this lady for, you know, what, the psychology or meditation or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, Who, whoever. I build up this, you know, this phone book of people to say, this person might be the right fit for you. Awesome. You know, and there's a there was a person recently who um I, I knew what his personality was like and whatnot. And you know, there were a number of people I would have said go and see, and I just thought I think he needs to go and see this person. And it was just the perfect fit. It wasn't against anybody else, it was just that's what I felt was the right fit. And they got on really well and started to do some really good work. Awesome. And they, so, do, they do invest, right? I mean, there's no question about it. Awesome. So let's just recap again, because we want it to be actionable advice. So whatever your goal is, write down your biological, sociological, and psychology, psychological factors. Look at those. If there's any barriers there, then you have to be all into the process of getting those removed and if you really want to be all in, seek out some help, seek out some, some guidance or someone to be accountable to or an expert that can really guide you along this process. Because once that barrier is then removed, well, progress is, can we say inevitable or do we say highly, highly likely? Yeah, I mean, it's a the, it's the scenario for me of like, well, once you have like I call it a vision, right? So if you have a vision of what you want to do, that's brilliant. I don't need to be any more specific of that. But if that, if the vision is, okay, well, I also need to have like some performance goals. Like, so more like this year, like what are we going to do this year? What do we need to do? What does that look like? And it's just a pathway to that vision. And then you go onto the other side and say, well, what barriers do you have within this, biopsychosocial model and say well in there where are the barriers stopping you from doing these things and once you have that that then starts to go into the now so what are you then doing on a day-to-day basis to be able to kind of manage the these solutions and move in the direction that you want to go in and the thing is with the bio the, the biopsychosocial there are barriers but they're also like really really good behaviors in there as well that that you're trying to encourage right you want more of that so you can also say to it okay well in that area what are the what are the areas in there that are bar- that are barriers or behaviors that need addressing but also in those sectors what are the really good behaviors that you have in there which enhance performance yeah i think that's a great point because all too often as coaches and this is more for the, the coaches listening actually and and for people who are, who are trying to perform the skill we we look at what needs to be better we don't often give credit to what's already good or even try and enhance what's already good 
you know, if, if fixing is the only thing in your toolbox, looking at what's wrong and fixing, that can be a, a little demotivating. So if you are going to go through this process that, that Stu's recommending, if you're going to look at these three factors, identify barriers, at the same time as you're doing this, identify what you're doing well in these areas and what can be positives and find if there's any way to, to then potentially enhance them. Would you agree with that, Stu? Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, I'll give you an example where recently I was having a conversation with a player and we were looking at, I was looking at their stats and, and whatnot and their, um, their driver and their, their approach play was, was, is really their strength, right? They're pretty long, pretty accurate and their approach play with their irons is, is, is really, really good. And I'm like, okay, well, this, these are the non-negotiables for me, right? It's fine to say I need to improve my padding or my chipping, no problem. But if those two areas drop off, your driving or your, um, or your approach play, those are the things that need addressing first. They need to stay at the top of the pecking order. And when you go to a tournament and you do, um, um, you do some skill stabilization of like checking out, okay, where am I with these? That's the first port of call. It's not, it's not always working and saying, okay, these are my weak areas. I really need to work at these because I just don't feel that's, um, that's very productive. Awesome. Perfect. So something super actionable for the listeners to write down and hopefully be applying this on a regular basis, reviewing what they're writing down, because uh, then it's something what, that they're actually doing, something that they're actioning, and that is then going to start to to fuel and and shift that environment uh, and help them move towards their their goals and dreams. Stu, just yeah, I never I never be too proud to kind of reach out to people, you know. And he reach yeah. out and say, "Oh, I'm in this area. Do you know somebody that can help me with this or or whatnot?" Because there are many many people that can you know can assist and whatnot. It's just finding the right one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, there's people like yourself that spend most of their time or 99 or even a hundred percent of their time with, with the elite. So if you are a European tour player listening to this, by all means, reach out to Stu. If you are a club golfer listening to this, um, you've probably got more chance of landing yourself on my uh, schedule uh, than on, than on Stu's. Um, and, and it's funny, Stu, because I had a, uh, I've had a pilot come into me recently. Um, he booked me for a, a day and a half boot camp. Um, and the first thing we do is we go through the goal set and we look at what, how, why, and, and we do, we look at the barriers. Um, and, you know, I've worked with some real good players, uh, players on the LPGA tour, uh, European tour. And this guy was all in, this guy was all yeah. in as, as, as much as anyone. And, um, he was a joy to coach. So the fact that he was a, an airline pilot, and he's actually now an, a pilot trainer, he trains pilots to deal with chaos, believe it or not, in, in simulators. So I was probably learning as much from him as, yeah. as he was from yeah. me. Um, but it wasn't like, because I coach players on the tour, I get this guy and it's a less enjoyable experience. Because of his level of motivation and how into it he was, uh, he fueled my energy. So, you know, never be afraid to, to reach out and think, oh, well, that person maybe wouldn't work with me or et cetera, et cetera. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised um, if you reach out and 
you ask in, in the right manner, you'll be surprised at how many people will, will offer support or give up their time, just like they have for, for you, Stu, when you've been formulating your philosophy. Absolutely. And the same for me. Um, before we finish, because we're going to wrap up shortly, I want to change gear a little bit. You, you cite a lot of professors and academics. Um, for the listeners, can you cite people away from that arena that you would listen to, look up to, watch or, or read? Like anyone in the world right now that inspires you, that people can look up on YouTube, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's like Robin Sharma, for example, um, a guy called Dan Millman. You know, we spoke recently about... Kevin Hart and you know how their their passion for what they do is you know infectious and how they talk about things and and their business and what and whatnot. I mean, there's 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 tons of them. You know, I mean, those are just the ones that kind of come to my head. Right and then, now. and then we always wrap up. Um, you know, I know you're a big reader. Um, I like to read. Uh, maybe not as intensely as some, but I, I do like to, to read. I, I feel that it's, it's a challenge for me, uh, but the information that I derive is, is often useful. So what books uh, would you recommend? Let's go with three. Three books that every listener could potentially get something from. Um, I would go to start with... The Brain Always Wins by John Sullivan and Chris Parker. That's a, that's a really good one. I'll go statistically, I'll go Mark Brody's book and then The Practical Application, your book. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the backhand that I owe you for giving my book. A- <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it is practical, right? I mean, for like that, and that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when... Same, and, and I'm sure you'll agree, I won't speak for you, but, you know, we weren't going to um, Oxford or Cambridge, Stanford or Yale when we were 18. So a Not lot even of, close. Yeah. So <laughs> when you go and visit these professors and, and you're doing this reading, I feel like I'm often breaking it down for my own brain. And then actually the practical application, breaking it down, putting it into diagrams, actually having a dictionary or a thesaurus there while I'm reading it, it, it makes it then easy for me to deliver this in simple terms. I, th- I think it was Einstein that said, anyone can take something simple and make it sound complex, but can you take something complex and make it sound simple? So, you know, I think on reflection, my, my academic background of not being a, an Ivy League student in some respects actually helps me deliver things in a, in a practical manner. Yeah, but even now, like there's, I mean, I was chatting to, to Ed Collin the other day and he's like, you know, there, there's, there's universities now doing, you know, PhDs with, with coaches who have been you know, successful coaches for like 25, 30 years. And yet they have their you know, support group within a university, basically siphoning out everything they've done and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, that's classed as a PhD, right? And that to me is where I feel academia should be going. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's like, 
we, you know, there needs to be more of that, of more of that stuff. The academia also needs to be more accessible to people, like the papers and and whatnot. But fundamentally, you know, there's a hell of a lot to learn from some great coaches that have never been, they've never picked up a paper, but they've just figured it out. And and I think that's the applied element of of coaching for me is absolutely vital. Yeah, I mean, vital for you when you're coaching. And again, you know, you, I'm grateful you were kind about me and my book and it being practical. And that's what I'm always trying to do with this podcast. So uh, I'm trying to get people to not just listen to the words, to hear the words. And then actually once the podcast finishes and iTunes or Spotify is turned off, what actions are you going to take? What are you going to practically apply? Because there's so many self-help books, so many coaching books, so many sports tips uh, in golf, so many swing tips. But what are you actually going to take away from that? And what are you actually going to practically apply? And I, I think that's the key. And obviously, that is, that is what your coaching is doing um, at, at the highest level. Um, Stu, before we go, one more question. Uh, who's going to win the majors this year? Straight up gold <laughs> question. Come on, um, let's hear it. Predict them. Oh, dear me. Um, Tiger all four? <laughs> <laughs> There's only three. Which one? Oh, the British Open's cancelled, correct? Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I, I don't know about Augusta, right? Because it's like a different time of year and you, I just don't know yeah, how... How, like how it's going to play again same as like wing foot oh, i mean from what i've gathered it's brutal and it's like you know it's a it's a it's about ball striking and and you know second shot golf course so you know somebody who's a really really good iron player potentially. I, I would go colin colin morikawa for that one yeah be i mean it'd be a great kind of I mean, he's a really, really good player, right? I mean, it's. Um, I think Xander Schauffele is, is due one at some point, and I don't yeah. know which one. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Webb Simpson contends again at the PGA over in. Yeah. Um, not that, not too far from where he won the U.S. Open. Um, over in San Francisco. Um, I don't know. I I, 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 I couldn't even. You're going to give any of your guys the uh, coach's kiss of death or are you just going to completely avoid that? No, I'm just going to try and prepare them to the best that I can and kind of see what happens. You know, that's, that's, I get classes insider trading, right? If that, if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, um, hopefully you can, uh, you can get over here for, for one or two of the majors. And, but, uh, you know, that, and, that, and that's what we're, you know, we're, we're working towards those things and whatnot, but it's such a, you just don't know, do you? In golf, you know, it's it's so unpredictable at times that we're trying to, you know, limit that and be as ready as possible for whatever comes. And that's that's kind of the goal with with everything, you know. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a perfect place to to leave it. Stu, thanks so much for your time. Uh to have a, a performance coach uh, of your stature with your knowledge working with players uh inside the top. 50 in the world, helping them get better, helping them create uh, effective training environments. It was awesome to have you on. Uh, I really hope the, the listeners aren't just listening to these words. They are hearing them and they're going to take them away 
uh, and practically apply them into their life. Thanks, Perfect. dude. Thanks, really man. appreciate, appreciate it. it. Take care, Stu. Bye-bye. Cheers. You've just taken a step forward to making a positive change in your life. That's right. You're one step closer to leaving frustration, stress, and anxiety behind. This was the Beyond the Mind podcast. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Into your world.